chapter 2, towards the very back of your Bibles there, verse 19 through 22. Uh, it's so great to see uh, the church house so full and have um, many wonderful guests. And I've heard we have some missionaries visiting here with us today. And I pray that you're encouraged, uh, family and friends. Um, welcome. Uh, it's just a joy to, to gather with you today. We pray that you're encouraged. Um, out the doors and to the left is that cry room. If you have little ones that need attention and hope that that's a blessing for you parents. Great to see so many kids here with us today. Uh, there's Bibles in the back of the room and blank pages to take sermon notes. Really value the faithful preaching of God's word. Um, and I'm excited to take a break from our First John series that we're enjoying today. Just have a shorter all-church sermonette in, in this passage. In a sermon that I've titled Mor- Moral Conformity cannot save. And I think you'll begin to understand why as we see this passage unfold. Look with me. 2 Peter 2, 19-22. Peter says this, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world... Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of the righteous than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit. And the so, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Second Peter 2.19, he begins, they, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Peter's reference to they here, in its context, in this letter, is... Speaking of false teachers, the false teachers of that day, people who taught false gospels, uh, promoted roads to freedom that didn't lead to freedom at all. Instead, they were the opposite of free. They themselves were enslaved to sin, as Peter clarifies here, sin and corruption. They were deceived to think that they knew what spiritual freedom really was. They thought they figured out what the good life was, and they were promoting it. But this is the entrapment and the demise of one who is enslaved to sin. Peter says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Let me ask you to consider that for your life this morning. What overcomes you? What dictates your emotions and priorities and thoughts? And actions. What rules you? There are many who don't believe in God or submit to the Lordship of Christ in their life because they don't like the idea of being ruled over. But we are all ruled over. We all worship something or someone. G.K. Chesterton said it well once when he said, When we cease to worship God, we do not worship nothing. We worship anything. But we still worship 
We must understand what the Holy Scriptures make clear. Mankind, all of mankind, is created to ultimately be ruled. We are all enslaved. We are all meant to have a head, an authority over us. But man, in our sin, loves the idea of truly being on our own, to be autonomous, the idea of being free, because we love ourselves, and we love the idea of being in charge. We love to act like God, who rules and decides what we want our life to look like. Please understand with me, we are never free. We are either ruled by God or by something that we have put in God's place because of our sin. Now don't get me wrong, those who trust their lives to Jesus Christ, who come to saving faith, come to know true and full freedom. We sing about it, we sing about it already, we speak of it, we celebrate it. Freedom from the penalty and enslavement of sin. So that we could be reconciled to the Holy God. Nothing is as good as this. But Scripture is clear to say that we are still slaves. We are just slaves of something way, way better. Jesus himself. Blessed to attend a conference that a fellow church hosted here uh, this weekend with many of you. We had 40 people from Disciples Church in attendance at the conference. And it was a joy to, uh, to fellowship with many other blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ here in town. As we look to better understand the growing lies and deception of critical race theory and wokeness, um, false gospels that are being promoted, and ideologies of a secular world, and how they're infiltrating schools and businesses and families and, and even, sadly, many churches. And in one of our brother's address, he reminded us of the testimony of Jupiter Hammond, African-American slave in the late 1700s, early 1800s. In 1806, he wrote a famous address titled, An Address to the Negroes of the State of New York. He himself convicted, saved, trusted himself to Jesus. In it, he tried to emphatically help them see that the freedom that one finds in saving faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest gift and reality one could ever know. Even if he remained a slave of man for the rest of his life. That he trusted in God's sovereign plan for the days of his temporary life, but that nothing was in comparison to the freedom and the joy of knowing Christ as Lord. Think about that. It was his pure joy to belong to Jesus, to be saved by him, and even though he was a slave to man his entire life, to be free spiritually because of Christ. I pray that those of you who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior would be saved this day by God's holy will. He would give you eyes to see and ears to hear. That you would repent of your sin before the holy God and trust your life fully to Jesus. That He would be your Savior and your Lord. And right there is the biblical clarity 
that we must see. We must push back the pride of our flesh that wants nothing to do with any kind of belonging to anything or anyone. We must understand we are all spiritual slaves. It is not an if. It is a to who or to what. You are either a slave to sin and the devil, or you are a slave to Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 6, 16-18. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were, were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Amen? Paul and Jesus both speak often about mankind's enslavement to sin outside of Christ in places like Titus 3.3. Paul says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedience led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Our condition in sin, our enslavement to sin. He speaks of our former enslavement prior to Christ. In Ephesians 2, 1-3, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." Jesus speaks to all those still enslaved in sin in John 8:44 You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires Scripture also speaks clearly about what it means to serve our master Jesus Christ Romans 10:9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved Jesus is Lord for those whom have trusted their lives to Him, for those whom He's given saving faith. He is our Master, and we are His slaves. Time and time again throughout the pages of Scripture, believers are referred to as slaves of God, slaves of Christ. It's it's one of Paul's favorite titles for himself in the opening of his letters. The common word in the English translation you might be reading, servant, is the Greek word doulos, which means slave. English translations have softened it. But it need not be softened. For it is the greatest joy of our life to belong to Jesus. Outside of Christianity, the the world, many others, would often refer to those who belong to Jesus as Christians. But the earliest believers repeatedly refer to themselves in the New Testament as the Lord's slaves. They preferred a different term. For them, the two ideas were synonymous. To be a Christian was to be a slave of Christ. The New Testament understanding of a believer's relationship to Christ is that he is the master, the owner. We are his possession. He is our king, our Lord. We are his subjects, his subordinates. 
The gospel is not simply an invitation to become Christ's benefactor, as many wrongly conclude it to be. No, it is a mandate to become his slave. And when you do, it is the greatest joy of your life. Romans 1.6 basically says the heart of Christianity is to belong to Jesus. We belong to Him. We live for Him. We suffer for Him. We, we, we grow for Him. We, we, it's for Him. It's for His glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body or your life. Back to our passage, 1 Peter 2. Consider earlier in this, um, in the first letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter chapter 2, 9-10. through 10, He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are His people, church. A people of His own possession. This is the greatest privilege of our life. To those lost in sin, this is madness. To those alive in Christ, it is sweet joy and freedom, satisfaction, and purpose. If we are the joyful slave, then God is the loving master. A slave lives for his or her master. Um, the master's purpose, purposes have become the slave's purposes. The master's desires have become the slave's desires. The master's plans have become the slave's plans. This is a key part of our growth and maturity in Christ, church. So Christian, let me ask you, are you more and more in love with the ways and the commands of God, and less and less interested in driving your own life by your own desires. It becomes our joy to totally submit to God as Master, to, to regularly submit to His Word, that we come ready to be moved, not prideful, not stuck, not demanding our own way, not being right in our own mind, humble, pliable, the Holy Spirit shaping and molding us, to submit to Him totally. Is this your view of who He is and who you are in response to the Gospel at work in your life? 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Church, we are to be joyful slaves. Yes, you heard me right. Peter says, live as free people, living as servants of God. So how is a slave free? We are free from the eternal bondage of our former slavery to sin and the sentence of death, receiving his wrath. But we are never free, meaning apart from rule. God created man to be ruled. It is the sin of man to think that we are free from any kind of rule. We are ruled by sin, or we are ruled by God. The difference is, it is life 
to be a servant to God, joy to be a slave to God, and there is no higher or greater role we could ever play in this life. Now with that understanding under our feet, look with me at verse 19. Peter says, they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. The false teachers were leading those in and around the church astray with a doctrine of freedom that went too far. It went out of bounds, promoting a freedom that meant you do whatever you want to do. And this included in their context sexual liberty and greed and other things we see in the previous verses before this passage in Peter's letter. This is clearly a false doctrine, a false gospel. For we only have freedom in Christ. And if we belong to Christ, we will not live in the flesh, but for righteousness and for His glory. 2 Peter 2, 19, look at the next part. For whatever overcomes a person to that which he is enslaved. Again, I ask you, Christian, what overcomes you? What dictates your emotions and priorities and thoughts and actions? What rules you? We must take inventory, beloved. You must look at your entire life. What you eat, what you do with your free time, what you do with your money, the decisions you make, the relationships you hold. Because it will reveal to whom you really belong. If you see in your life that you're not honoring God and you're letting your flesh have its way, then may this morning's message be a bright light for your soul, the work of the Holy Spirit, that you would confess that as sin and repent from it. Seek accountability from trustworthy, mature brothers and sisters in Christ. That you would move from your sin unto what is righteous, unto what glorifies God. Amen? Look at verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Again, the they is the false teachers. Peter is talking about the error and the penalty for those who teach falsely in and among the church. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does that mean right there? In what way have those who are not saved escaped the defilements of the world? It means the false teachers at some point in their life were were active in the church or among the church, pursuing religion, pursuing self-righteousness. Their intentions were aimed at getting out of their former practices of sin and growing in God and or His ways. Or their intentions were for self-gain or moral recognition. We don't know for sure, but either is faulty. The sobering reality is there have always been many, likely even many in the room today, who embrace religion or some kind of spiritual pursuit. They make a church life a part of their life. They listen to sermons. They may even serve in the church or in the community. They may make good changes to their lives and look like they're doing much better. 
For them, watch this, look at the verse with me, the defilements of the world are something they're moving away from as the good truths and knowledge of the Lord is in view in their life, as they're around it. The word defilements here in the Greek is miasma. It's a graphic word. The dictionary says that miasma is highly putrid smell from rancid organic matter. Miasma is a poisonous vapor, airborne germ infecting the atmosphere with deadly influence. Wow, that's a strong word used by Peter here. The miasma of the world. The wretched pollution, the the nauseous, poisonous vapor that comes out of the world that has deadly influences. Peter says, some were moving from or escaping the defilements of the miasma of this world. That means they were moving away from unrighteous living and sin and doing what was good and right. They were making some good choices, some good life changes. In other words, there's a a motivation that caused many people, people who are still dead in sin and outside of saving faith, to say, i got to get out of this mess. Right? There are many people who will feel convicted to make life change, and so they show up at church. Sometimes they stick around. Sometimes they make a lot of good changes, but they're still not saved. Maybe you have heard of a loved one, or maybe you've even been here yourself. Maybe this is where you're at right now. You might be in the room. You might be listening online, because this is you. This is where you're at. People can turn to religion in an effort to escape the pollutions and miasma of the world. The key thing to understand is that there's no real salvation for those who just add church to their calendar or try to be a better person or no longer engage the different aspects of the miasma. That, in the end, that is self-righteousness. It is self-powered results that don't equal true power to overcome sin. They don't equal the true indwelling of the Holy Spirit. See in this a manual turn of the steering wheel of one's life. It's a manual fix. It's a moral conformity. It's a temporary fix. Because the moment that the manual effort is loosened, the autopilot is returned. The core wiring is still at work. What must happen is not an external adjustment, but an internal change, a a new birth, a change in who you belong to, in who you live for, in who you love and serve. Only in the power and the grace of God are we truly saved through Christ And then the Holy Spirit comes in and goes to work in a person who is truly born again. This is the only way to take on a new wiring, a a new motion that's not just manually held, but the work of God now in us. If all you have is self-righteous effort or moral conformity, you can't maintain your position. You will fall back to the miasma. That which you've barely escaped for a season. Church, this is a sobering reality. It keeps me up at night. 
for those God is drawing near to our church who think that they'll add a little religion and so they're good. They morally conform and so they're good. They're making the needed changes. Some of you have no real conviction for repentance of sin. Your pride won't let you go there. You barely move along in your religious routines. And there's not real surrender to Jesus as Lord of all of your life. This is not what God's Word says is saving faith. This is a work of man, man man-made churches or religions to promote another gospel that will not save you. Hear me when I say one of the worst things you can do is become inoculated with the gospel or religion. Inoculation is a word, a term used around immunizations. The idea is you're given just a very tiny amount of the, the virus, the disease, so that your body then goes to work so that you don't get the whole thing. That's, the, that's the, the aim. You become immune to it. Why is inoculation with church life so dangerous? Because the inoculated person is not saved. You have just enough religion, just enough gospel understanding, just enough church involvement and exposure that you think you're good with God. And you you learn just enough to sound like you get it. And and you even are considered by others to be part of the family, but you don't have the gospel deep in your soul. New birth in Christ unto true and total transformation and surrender to Jesus as Lord. You're just inoculated to it. This is so dangerous because you have just enough to be immune to its real life-changing power. There are people who will go their entire lives thinking this way, thinking they're good with God, when they're not. They're not truly and fully surrendered to Christ as Lord. They're not a joyful slave of the Master Jesus Christ and living according to Scripture in all of its truths for the glory of God. They're, they're still doing it their way. Second Peter 2.20 For if after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. Peter says this kind of person will not endure. They will become entangled in the miasma of the world again. Why? Because the autopilot hasn't changed. The core change hasn't happened. It's only manual. They'll get tired. They'll get bored. A new idol will come along. This person has not given themselves to Jesus, who takes over. They're still in control of their lives. And while they've held that steering wheel in another direction for a time, they return to their sinful deceit. They are again entangled in them and overcome. That's what he says. And what he says next is even more sobering than what he just said. The last state has become worse for them than the first. The last state means the one who has looked to be a part. They've listened to the truth. They've been saturated in it, but in the end proved to not be born again. For those who reject the authority of the Lord, go back to the old ways, are worse than those who never heard that truth. 
who were never blessed to be around the life of the body and among it. The last state is far worse than the first because God's eternal punishment, Scripture says in hell, is more severe for one having known the truth, been saturated among it, and then regressed or rejected it in comparison to the one who didn't. Both are guilty, both still guilty in sin and do wrath. How do we know that that's true, that their, that their eternal punishment will be worse? Because Jesus himself says so. Matthew 12, 43 and 44. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than the first. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. This is where Peter gets this statement. The last state will be worse than the first. The more evidence you have of Christ's reality, the more severe your judgment is for not repenting. Peter warns the new converts, if you forsake the way, after all you've learned and experienced, your doom will be far more miserable than the pagans. Jesus and Peter are highlighting the danger of moral conformity without true saving faith. In this Matthew passage, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees who were the classic illustration of people who tried to pick themselves up out of the miasma by their own efforts. They morally reform their lives and their own power. A picture of a person who makes a moral decision to get religious, to leave his or her sin behind, to clean up their act, to be a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a better worker, a more honest person, a person who wants to be delivered from their guilt, And so they make moral decision after moral decision to get religious, to try to put sin in the rear view. What would cause a person to do this? Well, I mean, a few examples. Maybe that person is in jail. They don't ever want to go back again. A person contracted sexually transmitted disease, and they don't want that again. Maybe they had to pay $10,000 more in interest rates due to overspending. They don't want to do that again. A parent who saw how bad their teens and college years went, so they don't want that for their kids. I could go on and on and on with, with the fleshly motivations that would cause someone to try to make these changes. It's amazing how many men and women want to clean their act up, so they expose themselves to the church or Christianity or religion, but they never embrace Christ. It looks like they're changing a better person, but when the nature isn't changed, when the miracle of regeneration hasn't happened, are not saved. Please understand, Christ will not be added in such a way that you still call the shots. That's a horrific betrayal of who He is and what He is worthy of. He's worthy of it all. When He truly becomes our Lord and Savior, He will sanctify and change and transform the saved by His Word and the work of the Spirit as we serve Him the rest of our days. Do we still sin? Yes. Do we, do we still have real struggle? Maybe even seasons of gross backsliding? Sure. But the truly saved will repent. 
They will endure. They'll finish the race. Church, this is why we don't preach or promote surfacey moral conformity like so many modern day churches that are only concerned about getting big. The worst thing you could do is just enough to get someone exposed to the life change in church attendance but not really speak the gospel by which one must wholeheartedly receive and trust in if they're going to be made new in Christ. Verse 21, it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Peter speaks of one who's learned of Christ and even seen, seemed to make a start in what looks like a Christian life by all outward appearances. It looks like they've escaped the defilements and the miasma of the world, but in the end, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world are what they really long for, of which they truly still belong. Jesus spoke this way in a parable in Mark chapter 4. We see a taste of this example in 7, 18, and 19. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no grain. In 18 and 19, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Back to 2 Peter 2.21, it'd be better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. They profess Christian experience, their professed Christian experience gave them access to the knowledge of Jesus, the true teaching of Scripture. They had it, it was delivered to them, but in the end they rejected it and turned away. Peter says it would have been better for them to never have known. Why? Because the punishment now is worse. Jesus says in Luke 12, 47, the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Jesus said of Judas, it would have been better that that man for that man if he had never been born. The judgment for these, Peter says, is severe. It's worse than those who never knew. Hear me clearly, both are judged. Both forever know God's wrath, and it's horrific. Both will suffer. Hell is an unspeakable torment. But there is suffering in hell that is worse. Peter is telling us to make light of of those who are false teachers or who play church. Is he telling us to make light of that? No. He's saying this is serious. How serious? This is why Peter is making such a big deal of those who claim Christ or walk for a time or in or around the church practicing the ways of the Lord, but in the end are never saved. They did not endure in repentance and faith to the end. They returned to their old ways. And so in verse 22, Peter says, the true, the, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, 
returns to wallow in the mire. The church in its general gatherings is littered with people who at one point in time wanted to pull their, themselves up out of the miasma. They added religion to their lives. They began to clean up their lives by self-will and moral conformity and new routines. Many of these went on to become, sadly, teachers, preachers, self-styled prophets, according to Scripture. We even see those today propped up. Even though they carry on in ministry, they're driven by lust and greed. Peter says they're like dogs who go back to their vomit, or pigs who get cleaned up and go back to the muck. Peter's, Peter's borrowing this from Jesus. Seven, uh, Matthew 7, 6, Sermon on the Mount. Don't give what is holy to dogs and throw your pearls to swine. See with me the connections of hogs and dogs. It's a sad reality. Why does the Bible use these terms to speak of people with superficial faith or false prophets? Well, it's, it's meant to be harsh. Especially in that day, Jewish times, um, biblical times, dogs were very rarely kept as household pets as they are today. They were sometimes used to herd sheep, but they were largely wild mongrels, filthy, greedy, barking, diseased, vicious, dangerous. They were likely to eat their own vomit. Jews in that day treated dogs with great contempt because of their filth. They lived on garbage. They carried disease. Pigs were the epitome of uncleanliness. Greedy, filthy. Jesus says, don't give holy things to dogs or wonderful pearls to swine. They only trample them on their way back to vomit and to the mud. To refer to the filth. Let me be clear. Peter is not teaching that God's elect can lose their salvation. Scripture does not teach that. He is most definitely teaching that people who attend church can be lost. People who make outward professions of faith or even begin to clean up their lives can turn from Christ and be lost. There is a way to go through the motions and not be saved. To still be a dog. In verse 22, he explains to us in a proverb that we should not be overly surprised at those who do this. Dogs characteristically return to their vomit. No matter how clean you might make that animal on the outside, it still is what it is. In other words, those who leave the way of righteousness never return simply show that their nature had never been changed. He who endures to the end will be saved, Jesus says. Matthew 10, 22. Hebrews says it in Hebrews 3, 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confession firm to the end. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The good news of the true believer is that you're truly saved, and if you are, you will endure. Praise God. This means you will endure the hardship that you're currently facing, Christian. You will finish the race. You will find a way to repent. You will long for accountability and the Word. 
you will not get entangled and turn back to the vomit. Repent and believe is not just a command on the unbeliever in the house today. It is the whole of New Testament to agree that there is no salvation apart from persevering faith. Persevering faith always works itself out in righteousness. Therefore, to abandon the way of righteousness is to prove that you've never been saved. Repent and believe is the way of the Christian. We repent when our sin comes into view, and we continue to trust in God. Church, moral conformity cannot save It cannot free slaves of sin. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Young man, young woman, you need this. Because the inoculation is at work in you. As your parents, your loved ones, your friends are faithfully bringing you around this good news. It is only by God's grace and appointed holy will that He would give you eyes to see and ears to hear. It is our deep prayer that you would. Parents, don't wash over the full face importance of the gospel in your kids' lives. They need it every day. Keep preaching. Keep loving them. Keep showing them the goodness of the Word. Trusting your kids to the Lord every day. As we just did earlier today, they belong to Him. They belong to Him. Amen? This good news that God is adopting son and daughters is happening right now around the world by God's grace. Maybe it's happening in you this morning. Rescuing undeserving sinners from the wrath they deserve in their sin. So that they can be adopted as a son or daughter of God. He's giving them a new heart, saving faith. A desire and ability to no longer practice sin, but instead to practice righteousness. This is only possible in Jesus. Colossians 1, 13-14 God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord, I don't care how long you've sat in the seat you're in. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. I don't care how much your, tra- your transferred transformation of testimony has happened. Have you confessed your sin before the Lord, died to yourself, and trusted your whole life to Jesus? Only in this are you saved. And the fruit of that salvation will go to work, and it will finish the race. Repent and believe and be saved. For those he gives ears to hear and those he gives eyes to see in his perfect time. Jesus said it most clearly. He says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to know the truth? Do you want to walk in the truth and no longer be in deception? To no longer live in the enslavement of your flesh and only practice sin? Then you need Jesus. Only Jesus. You must become a child of God, a slave of Christ, to be made alive by God. I pray it is God's good will to save you today. Christian, we are never done with repentance and belief. For some of you, for some of you, and let me make this most sobering concluding statement. As I just talked to unbelievers, 
You thought I was talking to the new person who just showed up today. But for some of you who've been in church for a long time, I'm talking to you. May it be God's goodwill to save you this day and truly transform your life. Moral conformity cannot save sinners. Only Jesus can. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for this moment in our day to study your word, to look to what you've ordained for us to have in your holy word. Peter's letter is ordained by you as the word of God. It's not just Peter's words, it's your words. And carries with it the authority of all authority, the truth, the real truth. And may it pierce souls and hearts today. May it bring real conviction of sin, utter brokenness before your holy throne. To trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior and Lord and be made new. To begin that new path of growing in the gospel, walking accountably with the church, being led by faithful shepherds, obeying your word unto your sovereign end for us. That our lives would glorify you and you above all else. Hear us now, Lord, as we worship and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and sing, and then have some announcements for you as we go.